In these past four weeks, uh, traveling across six countries, do you know how much I walked? According to my Fitbit step tracker, which I had with me, I walked more than 231 kilometers. The distance between here and Baguio. Have any of you ever tried to walk between Manila and Baguio? Trust me, I was surprised as well. That's why when I weighed myself, when I came back home, to my surprise, I had lost six pounds. And I couldn't believe it because I was eating gelato and ice cream literally every day. Going on these trips is the most exercise I get. And I have to admit, the first few days in Israel were tough. I was not used to walking so much, but it got easier every day. In fact, to try to reach the goal of hitting 10,000 steps a day, and I surpassed that most days. There was one day I was about 9,200, and you know, when you're challenged to do something, you needed to get over 10,000 that day, and I remember that evening walking around my hotel room until I got over 10,000 steps. But now, being back in Manila for a week, and back to my sedentary lifestyle, sitting behind my desk and my computer, my Fitbit barely registers 1,500 steps a day. I literally go down the stairs for work. During my trip, I enjoyed ice cream without any guilt. Two, three, four scoops because I knew I would walk it off. But here in Manila, when it is so hot, when I go to the fridge to get some ice cream, I feel very guilty because I know that which goes to the lips will go to the hips. What is the difference? The difference in how I approach the eating of that which I love, ice cream. The difference is in the exercise. You know, so it is in the Christian life. When you exercise faith, faith is not something you simply have or simply need to do. It is an exercise. When you exercise your faith in Jesus Christ, you too can enjoy the Christian life. It is good for you. It is when we do not exercise our faith daily. It is when we do not live out our faith that we live our lives in fear, in guilt, without the satisfaction of enjoying the life that God has given us. As with all things to strengthen our faith, you and I need to discipline ourselves into exercising it every day. You and I need to live it out every day. Faith is trusting in the revelation of who God is and what He has and can do in your life. We as a church have been studying the books of Nahum and Habakkuk, expositing it verse by verse. And we have come to the end of our sermon series today, and we're going to be taking a look at the last few verses of the book of Habakkuk. If you're unfamiliar with this amazing book, it is a book where the prophet Habakkuk asks two questions of God. Two questions that you and I, as students, as adults, ask every day. Two questions that disturbed him greatly. The first question he asked God was, Why, God, do you seemingly allow sinful acts, sinful deeds, to go unpunished? Why do you not punish evil for what it is? The second question the prophet asks is the question, Why, God, do you seemingly allow evil people to succeed? Why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? 
We answered these two fundamental questions of life a few weeks ago, and if you missed it, you're more than welcome to go to our church's website and download the audio MP3. Generally, God's basic response was, you don't know everything that I do. You can't comprehend all that I do. I am the sovereign God, and you are to trust me and live by faith, knowing that I know what I am doing. That was God's reply to Habakkuk's question. My friends, as you live this life, this is one of the truths that you need to understand, especially if you are very idealistic, young and old. Because there will be many things in life that seem very unfair to you. There may be many things in life that you simply do not understand why it is happening to you. And our response in times like these are to live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, the just will live by my faith. You've got to come to the understanding that in life you don't have to understand everything that is happening in your life. Because there is a God who knows more than you do. It is not within our right to demand that God explains to us, to our full satisfaction, why He does what He does. We are to rest by faith, knowing that He is a loving God who only wants the best for us. Because my friends, if this question and answer is not settled in your mind, and you see the unfairness of this world, and you see things in your life you don't understand why it is happening, then you will become very bitter at life and become very angry at God. But on the other hand, if you can accept this truth that God has revealed in this book, then you will find that life is very enjoyable. And as you exercise your faith and trust in God daily, you too will go through the same process that the prophet does and be able to accept these answers to life's most pressing questions. I invite you this morning to turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to the book of Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to be taking a look at verses 16 to 19. Habakkuk chapter 3 in the Old Testament, before the book of Zephaniah, and after the book of Nahum. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. This is the response of the prophet as he finally realizes how he is to exercise his faith daily. Look at me at verse 16. When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Now, if you haven't been with us these past couple of weeks, let me give you a bit of a background. Habakkuk has been told by God that he will be using the fearsome Babylonians to discipline his own people, something that the prophet did not fully understand. And that's why he says he is fearful. In fact, he is afraid. His body trembles. His lips quiver. His body goes limp. You see, this is a picture of a man whose response to what has been revealed to him about God is a healthy fear of God. It was not that Habakkuk did not respect God before. Here is a prophet of God. 
It was now that God has revealed himself fully for who he is. And the prophet realizes he needed to do something. Number one, if you're taking notes. The first exercise of faith. You are to maintain a healthy fear of the Lord in your life's outlook. Maintaining a healthy fear of the Lord in one's life's outlook. This is what Habakkuk came to realize. Who am I to question God? What right do I have to expect that He does my will? When I heard His voice, my body trembled, my lips quivered. I trembled in myself. He realizes he needs to have a healthy fear, a healthy respect of God. And that, my friends, is something we are missing in this 21st century generation, young and old. A fear of God. That's why we take God for granted. That's why we don't take Him seriously. That's why we don't care much about the spiritual things in life. Because we think to ourselves, what can God really do? What can God really do to me, to us? We have a very low view of God. But to exercise our faith daily, to enjoy life, means we need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. In fact, our faith actually increases because now we see God for who He truly is. He is a sovereign God. He is an omnipotent, omniscient, righteous God who with one snap of His proverbial finger could drop us dead where we are standing. Do you know that? God holds our life in His hands. To put it into your cultural context, He has all the infinity stones. But that's fiction. God is real. And this is the God that Habakkuk is reminded of. This is the God in whom he will put his trust in. Even though he doesn't fully understand what is happening in life. For those of you who are with us this morning who are alumni of Grace. Are you graduates? You know that there is a verse in the school lobby that is painted very prominently as you walk into the main entrance of the school. It is a verse taken from Psalm 110, verse 10. You know it well. The fear of the Lord is what? It's the beginning of wisdom. I wonder how many of you walk through the portals of that lobby entrance and simply disregard the truth in that verse. There's a reason why my grandmother more than 50 years ago had that verse placed right there in a very prominent area as you enter right in. It is to remind all who walk through the hallways of this educational institution that you, first of all, are to humble yourself and seek the Lord to honor Him because of who He is. Then and only then will you gain wisdom. You need to come to an understanding, young and old, that life is not simply about the accumulation of intellectual wisdom. Life is not simply about having more head knowledge or academic wisdom. While we are very proud of your academic and even sports achievements, the reality is the wisdom of the Lord, lived for the glory of God, is the most important thing in life. You see, I've met countless people who have achieved great things. They are truly amazing people. But I meet them. And these are men and women who live for medal after medal in their life. And yet as they have achieved great things, their spiritual lives are so broken. I 
feel very sorry for them. These are men and women who have no moral convictions. They are misguided. They are lost, but they would not admit it. They have no aim in life other than to collect medals, accolades, and yet they never find satisfaction in their soul because they only live for man's approval. They have lost their moral compass. They seek to gain everything and reject integrity. They have lost their virginity before marriage, something which you cannot buy back. Yes, they have their achievements, but they do not have character. They do not have integrity. It is something my wife and I have to remind ourselves in this hyper-competitive world we often said to one another, we don't care if our children aren't the highest in their class. We just care if they love Jesus with all of their heart and live for His glory. This should be the wish and desire of every parent and grandparent here this morning. It should be your desire that your children, more than any academic or sports achievement, love Jesus with all of their hearts. Because if you don't have this outlook in life, then you do not have a Christian worldview. Then your life's outlook is skewed. It is wrong. And yet, in the hyper-competitive nature of students and parents, we may think that, but we don't believe it. I wonder if there would ever be a student or a parent who would stand up and say, if there are optional activities on Sunday mornings when it is a time dedicated to the worship of God, then I will skip this optional activity so that I can go worship God. I've been waiting 15 years in this country. I've been waiting for a long time to see parents rise up, students rise up, faculty, administrators, adults, who will actually finally take a stand and walk the talk and say, I'm sorry, I cannot compete in your alumni basketball games on Sunday mornings. I cannot participate in varsity activities on Sunday mornings in basketball or volleyball or any other academic competition because I need to go to worship God for He has priority in my life. I have been waiting and waiting and waiting and I see so few, almost none, Take the stance. We do not fear God in this generation. Watch the movie Chariots of Fire and see what men and women of conviction with a healthy fear of God will do and what they are remembered for. Sadly, we say we fear the Lord. But our actions completely tell us we are lying to ourselves and lying to the world. Because we don't fear Him, we don't respect Him or worship Him. 
And therefore, we won't drop anything to follow him. We will drop him to follow anything. It should not be a surprise to parents wondering why their children who go to a Christian school do not come out to be men and women of integrity and character because they have never been shown through action that they are to drop everything to follow Jesus so they will not be willing to drop Jesus to follow someone else. It's fine, but you in the next generation, you have a mind of your own. When will you step up to fear God with your life? And that's why so many Christians today live a life of guilt. They do not enjoy the Christian life because they do not exercise daily, every day, a healthy fear of God with reverence to the one who alone is worthy and holy. You know, almost all the churches we visited in Europe and in the Holy Lands had a very big sign as you enter this church. It says, silence. And if you don't understand English, it's written in Italian and Greek and Latin and every other language there. And if you still don't understand that, it's a picture of a guy with an index finger held up to his mouth. Why? Why do these churches have this? Why are the guides not allowed to explain the inside of the church? Because their thinking is when you come into the house of God to honor and to fear Him, you are to keep silent before Him. Maybe we can learn from this. But it is not a one-time act of silence that expresses our fear of Him. The fear of God is a way of life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, it's the starting point of a life of wisdom. Every person here is seeking wisdom, Solomonic wisdom. And the Bible already tells us it begins with a healthy respect of the one who is worthy. The second exercise of faith is found in verses 17 and 18. Look with me. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the laborer of the olive may fall and the fields yield no food, Though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Here in verses 17 and 18, Habakkuk notes that even if they are going to get a lot worse, if things are going to get a lot worse for his people, they're going to come under discipline. The fig tree, figuratively, will not bear fruit. The harvest will not appear in the field. No more livestock. No matter how bad things get, no matter how bad things may happen to you, he would do what? Verse 18, he would rejoice in the Lord. Here's the second attitude, number two, if you're taking notes. The second daily attitude we are to exercise a life of faith in, to cultivate an attitude of joy amidst life's many problems. Cultivating an attitude of joy amidst life's many problems you know graduates I sit through five graduations every year and have done so up on stage for more than 15 years I've heard all the speeches they're all the same in a few days you'll hear I don't know who your speaker is they'll tell you that your life is going to be great probably some politician your life is gonna be awesome 
Go out and reach for the stars. Whatever that means, because you can't. If you want it, you will get it if you work hard. Remember your parents. That's important. Remember who got you to where you are. Work hard, be faithful. You'll get better. I could have told the 730 folks this morning at the elementary baccalaureate, as you enter high school, high school life is so much better than elementary. I could tell you right now, senior high school life is better than junior high school. I'll tell the 11 o'clock people that college is so much better than senior high school. And if I were to speak at a college graduation, I'll tell them the working world is out there for you to enjoy. But if I told you those things, it would be a lie. Ask anyone working, which is better, studying or working? Studying. In the work world, you don't get three months of vacation every year. Yes, I know you complain about your school hours. What, 7 to 3.30 now? In the work world, you wake up at 5 and you go home at 7. This is the harsh reality of life. And I think you can take it because you are children of the 21st century. And yet everyone wants to be a part of the real world. Let me tell you about the real world that you so want to be a part of. The real world is unfair. You're going to find out that life is so unfair. You won't have the best life that you think you are owed. Ask people who are older than you. Did you envision yourself to be who you are and what you are today? And most of them will tell you no. I expected to be retired now. I expected that I don't have to deal with my kids anymore. I expected that I don't need to take care of my grandchildren anymore. I expected to be promoted much higher and much faster. These, my friends, are the reality of life. And that's why so many people are bitter at life. In your colloquial language, so many people are emo. That's why daily is an exercise of the Christian life. We need to cultivate an attitude of joy amidst life's many problems. The prophet Habakkuk says, I will rejoice in the Lord. Why? Look at the last phrase of this verse 18. Because he is the God of my salvation. It is not a joy that is foundationed on an empty promise. It is not a false joy in life. It is a joy of knowing that in the Lord there is the solution to your problems. In the Lord there is salvation, the saving of yourself from what this world has. The joy of knowing that there is someone who has given you and I more than we deserve. Who as the song reminds us, has promised us his wealth and told. Someone who has died on my behalf and on your behalf so that you and I do not have to receive what we deserve, which is hell. If you and I receive what we do not deserve, how can we not but be joyful? That's why the Bible tells us in Colossians 3 verse 2, you know the verse well. Set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? You know, if you look at life on earth, it's really depressing. If you're really honest with yourself, life on earth is depressing. 
I came back. I, I love news. I, I knew that the royal wedding was coming up. I don't know why I'm fascinated by royalty. Maybe it's because I'm not royalty and I live my life vicariously through the royals. Not that I would want to, but I thought, you know, I'm going to sit down. I haven't watched news for a month, and I'm going to sit down and watch some of the pre-stuff about uh, the royal wedding. So I turned on TV, thinking I'd get some downtime and some relaxing moments. And instead of watching about this fairy tale wedding, on the news flashes, plane crashes in Havana, Cuba. 104 people presumed dead. And then they're switching off to the story. 10 students killed in Texas, where I'm from, from a deranged gunman. High schoolers ready to graduate in a few weeks. And I thought to myself, what a crazy mixed up world we live in. Even to try to escape to a fairy tale wedding, I am exposed and shown the harsh reality of this life. When you think about that, what's life? It's really cheap. That's what the Bible says. Set your mind on things above. Because when you look up, you can't help but feel joy. One of the women who came on this past Reformation trip had a broken collarbone. She underwent, um, she went through a major car accident on NLEX about three weeks prior to the trip. Uh, Sideswiped by a car. Her car flipped over three times. She broke her collarbone. If there was someone who could complain about something on this Bible study tour, it would have been her. I know her well. I know about her life. I know how she faithfully loves Jesus with all of her heart and has faithfully served him for decades. And how did God reward her? Quote, unquote, reward her. She has congenital heart disease. She's battling cancer. And if there is one person who could be angry at God and be justified for serving God all her life and then going through what she's going through towards the end of her life, it would be her. I wouldn't get angry to know that she was bitter with God. But when you meet her, you will meet a woman who is, was one of the happiest, if not the happiest person on this trip. When I showed my concern to her every morning how she was doing, she would tell me, oh, pastor, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. He has given us a wonderful day to live this life. I just love this older woman. Her joy exudes and emanates and just overflows amidst her life's many problems. Because I know if I had a broken collarbone, I would be complaining every day. I would expect people to serve me. I would expect people to be doing me favors, but not her. In 17 days, I don't remember or recall her ever complaining once about anything. You see, my friends, if you can cultivate this daily exercise of an attitude of joy amidst life's many problems, it is a game changer in your life. It is a life changer. It is knowing I only have to look heavenward, set my sights on Jesus, because what can you do about things of which you have no control over? It is a lesson I am learning. People ask me, Pastor, why do you laugh and joke around all the time so much? 
I tell them, why shouldn't I? I have a God who is in control. I have problems, but my problems are no problem to Him. And so I give Him my problems. And if I give Him my problems, I have no problems. And so why I shouldn't be joyful? You and I choose to be joyful every day. Joy is a matter of choice. You and I choose to be joyful. Now you may think that's odd, but joy is not conditioned upon what you are going through. Joy is a state of mind enabled by the truth that God lives in your heart. Remember that old children's song that you definitely don't sing in high school anymore, but you did in elementary. It even has actions, and I'm not going to do it for you. I've got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. We all love screaming the word where. And then we get to the chorus. And I'm so happy, so very happy. Why? I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. What a simple song with profound theology. Because the reason we can be joyful in life is not because the song says it is the absence of problems. I have the joy in life because I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. Cultivating a godly characteristic of joy in your heart is worth far more than any earthly accolade you can receive. To be known as one who has lived their life with joy amidst life's many problems, you will have been one of the greatest people in this life. Earning one of the greatest accomplishments that one can have in this life. Joy amidst sorrow. The third and final exercise we are to live is verse 19. Look with me. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on high hills. And then there's a notation there to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. So important was this book that Habakkuk instructed that it be set to song so that the people could easily remember it. Here in verse 19, Habakkuk reminds himself to exercise another aspect of faith. Number three, recognize God's enabling strength in times of your weakness and our weakness. Recognize, acknowledge God's enabling strength in times of our weakness. You know, having joy in life doesn't mean that you won't go through times of sadness and despair and desperation. But it is in those times of weakness that we remember and recognize there is one who is the source of our strength. Remember the prophet at the beginning of the book and in verse 16, his feet were shaking. But now that he is reminded of the strength of God, he says he is the feet of a deer able to bounce and jump because God's enablement of strength will make me walk on the high hills. Last night at the Saturday evening service, I misspoke. I said God's enablement will make us walk on high heels. I chuckled and laughed. I've never stood on six inches of stilettos. But boy, I would require God's strength and enablement to walk on high heels, much less high hills. Regardless, you know 
that the journey upward is very difficult. It is not a piece of cake. And yet understand this, my friends, who are graduating and those who are trying to graduate life. That's everyone. It is the Lord's doing and His doing alone that you will be able to achieve what you want to achieve. Jesus reminds us in John 15 verse 4, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear much fruit. Note this, for without me you can do nothing. Do you really believe that? The prophet came to believe that. That's why his attitude changed from one of despair to one of hope. What a change from a man who at the beginning of this book was angry, confused, and scared to one who now recognized the strength of God in his life and he said, I can go on to greater heights. He cried out to God in desperation and God gave him strength to go on to greater heights. For those in our church, if you remember 10 years ago, if you were even here, 10 years ago in our 40th anniversary, I chose this verse, Habakkuk 3.19, as the 40th anniversary verse that coupled with the theme onto greater heights. Because 10 years ago, we as a church body were scared. We weren't sure where we were headed. But through the enablement of the Lord, we are where we are today, not taking credit for anything except ascribing it to the Lord. In a few days, you graduates of grade 10 will walk across this stage and receive your junior high school diploma. As you walk across this stage, a little bit of nerves, excitement. Some of you will think, what can I do to get away with something? Would you mutter these words to yourself in your heart? As you walk across this stage, getting your ribbons and your medals and your diploma, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. Just utter those words in your heart. Remind yourself, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. Because if you can do that at your graduation, at one of the most momentous occasions of your academic life, then perhaps maybe you can mutter that statement every day for the rest of your life, reminded that whenever you receive an accolade, whenever you are promoted, whenever you get a business deal, that you say, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. So that this truth can be lived out in your life the source of our strength is in Christ and in him alone don't you ever forget that you may be strong you may be start you may have capacity you may come from a great family but those things will fail you I have seen it it is only in the strength of the Lord that you will be able to walk on high hills to do great things for him this is a God who in one minute made Joseph a jailed man to the prime minister of Egypt. One minute. That's how long it took for God to promote a man. This is a God who allowed the murderous Saul to become Paul, the greatest of missionary evangelists. This is the God who took Peter, the one who spoke before he thought, and made him one who actually thought before he spoke to speak boldly proclaiming Christ where thousands came to know Christ when he spoke. Doing so until the day he died. I've lived life long enough to stand here and tell you that when you lean upon the Lord in your times of weakness, He will enable you to have feet like deer's feet. He will make you walk on those high hills. Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's response. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. So that Christ's power may rest on me. Take pride in your weakness. Take pride in the fact that you cannot achieve anything on your own. So that in your humility, Christ will give you strength and enable you to become great. It requires daily exercise because this is something we all forget, even me. And when you can exercise this by faith every day, you will see that God takes you on one of the greatest adventures in life. We all like to be control freaks. We all like to know what's happening in our life, every aspect of life controlled by us. But that type of life isn't very fun. Because when you are following the unexpected, now that's fun. That's the adventurous Christian life. I remember going to Disney World many years back. And one of the rides in Disney World is the Haunted Mansion ride. It's not really that scary nowadays, but you know, when you're young, it's, it's scary. And uh, you, you get sat in this little vehicle that seats about six different people and takes you on this little haunted ride and they've got holograms and other things anyway you know how they queue you up in these uh, rides and i got stuck with a family uh the father had decided to bring his little son on this ride i think he wasn't thinking it straight but when he got into the little ride and it was kind of dark in the front i think the father realized i think my son is too young to get on this ride but the ride's already started so this father, who had been on this ride many a times, to try to alleviate the fear of his son, begins to narrate for all of us what's going to happen next. Son, don't be scared. In about three seconds, the plastic spider will drop down. In the next corner, there will be a dragon that pops out. Okay, wait for it. In about four seconds, they're going to squirt water on you. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're spoiling the ride for everyone. So we finished this ride. He's narrated the whole thing. We get off the ride. And I'm hearing this conversation between dad and son. Daddy, it wasn't scary. In fact, it was quite boring. And I wanted to tell this dad and son, yes, it's not scary and boring when you tell everything before it actually happens. And it's so funny. We all want the exciting life. And yet we so want to know everything that's happening. You know, the Bible tells us throughout the scriptures, what does it tell in our relationship between us and God? Trust me. Trust me. If you want your life spoiled and live a boring life, then you be in control. If you want a life full of adventure and excitement, knowing that you'll get through, then trust in the one who guides you not with your own power, but with his own power. So start exercising your faith every day so that you can enjoy the Christian life. Remember, you do not stand before the world to be judged by them. You stand before the heavenly throne to be judged by Jesus. So live your life in faith. Exercise daily a healthy fear 
of the Lord in your life's outlook. Cultivate an attitude of joy amidst life's many problems. And then recognize God's enabling strength in times of our weakness. And with that, you will experience life's greatest adventures at any age, at any stage in life. I hope you will enjoy the great Christian life you and I can have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is an encouragement and a challenge even in my own life as well. It is a lesson and a reminder all of us need, not just those who are graduating. Father, for so long, we have not taken you seriously. We don't honor or respect you. We take you for granted. Our lips pay lip service to how great you are, how worthy of worship, and we are willing to drop you at the first sign of our busy schedule. Work in the hearts of these men and women, especially these graduates, to fear you with all of their heart, to cultivate the beginning of wisdom. May they live a life where they can find joy, not in a hopelessness, but in the joy of God, my Savior. And then, Lord, to live a life where we can trust you, depend on you, rely on you, to glory in our weakness so that your strength will be perfected in us. I pray special blessings upon our graduating students. May you give them the greatest of exciting Christian life. I pray for those who are here this morning, that they don't still know you. May they come to know the Savior who grants purpose in life. And for those of us who are stymied and in a rut, may we remember that we are the one called to bring light to a dark world. In Jesus' name we pray.